Today on Movie Wallers, we talk about Gran Turismo, a haunting in Venice, and dumb money. It's time for Movie Wallers. Hi, this is Joe. Hi, it's Rashmi. And yes, G as well. Movie Wallers is your weekly dose of film reviews, movie news, and general banter in theatres, on DVD, online streaming, or in the back of an airplane. If you love the movies, this show is for you. Yay, we're back together again. I was literally going to say, Will don't you? say it. Don't say it. I always say it. <laughs> don't say I it. I have to say it. I know, we should be getting together a lot more. We should. We I just do. said that. Well, we I just, just said we we were meant to start recording an hour and a half ago, and it's taken us this long just to catch catch up with Yazdi. It's true, catching up a, together about film and food and whatnot. Yes, we about love, life, the universe. Plus, oh, wow. there haven't been enough movies released. It's thanks true to the to the strikes, it's which true. are great and and good, and they should continue. And Yazdi, give us the update. Is it resolved now? It's all resolved. I, I heard it was resolved. So the Writers Guild has resolved. And there were many, many issues at play. They wanted to get paid enough, but I think their bigger concern was AI. Right. They were scared that, you know, studios could use an existing story that somebody had created, ask AI to spit out five of those, right? And then they don't get paid for <laughs> it. Five different versions of it. Uh, so the the Writers Guild has reached an agreement, but the Actors Guild has not. Ah. And the hope is that SAG-AFTRA and the other people who are part of the Actors Union will now hopefully very soon make... Uh, Make a deal with the big studios. So if the greedy studios stop being greedy... And I didn't realize it was all about AI. I think Majority. some part of it was... But it was mostly about I mean, wages. Okay. Yeah. And I thought there was something around content on streaming versus film. Sure, yeah. Yeah. The pay rate, the pay scale is probably different. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think if the if the business model is different, then the pay should be different. But it seems as if the, the studios just leverage their power to advantage themselves and and squeeze the money out of everyone else's pockets rather than theirs. Right, right. Have you used ChatGPT just as a segue? I have. It's quite a thing. Yeah, it is quite. And I understand ChatGPT is already a thing of the past now. There are better, you know. I know, yeah. More, more whatever versions of ChatGPT. And not, not, not to get here's, deep. Here's Go the thing on. that, well, here's the, I mean, hypothetically, if, if, a, if an AI could write a wonderful script, would we care as, as consumers of no. content? Because I, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I don't think, I think ultimately, I mean, you know. I've, well, yes, he didn't answer. I've I said no. Bit, I've heard a little bit of like, you know, AI music and things like that. I, I don't know that a machine can necessarily be creative, but if, if a machine can tune itself to the beats that make a movie compelling, you know, would we care if our scone here had been baked by a machine that could optimize ingredients or would we, and by the way, this scone, right? You, you guys have been complaining about this scone. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this. Okay. Fair no, enough. But my thing is the, the question is AI can, can never do something of its own that it hasn't learned from something else. So as long as you give credit, right? So that's the issue is if I write a great murder mystery set in Tunisia and AI takes it and writes a similar one or uses the construct of that and does one in Greece, then don't I, oh, it's, it's AI is using my construct to generate it. So that therein lies the issue, I think. 
Where but it, oh, that's an interesting. That's right. an interesting um, but concept, it's not just because one that's person, like. What, like but, but what yeah. if you have an apprentice, and now we all learn from someone else as a mentor, as an apprentice? Um, but the apprentice will always say, and I'm grateful to you know but, the internship I did with Scorsese. Sure, whatever. I don't know. Aren't we at a point where? All the ideas have been done. No. Oh. <laughs> no, because I mean, I think a lot of movies somewhere uh, have been influenced by other art. Of how, course. How, so how is that different from... Um, Influence is different from derivative. I think... Anyway, yeah, this we can talk it's about a this for now. Yeah. <laughs> we should have a chat GPT mean, about this. I didn't, I didn't mean to get this into this before we start the podcast. Remember that new... In the new season of... Uh, that show, <laughs> which is on Netflix, uh, <laughs> Black Mirror, in the new season of Black yeah. Mirror, there is an episode with um, Annie, Annie, who's the girl from Schitt's Creek, uh, Annie, <laughs> anyway, she's in it, um, and it's about this girl who's, who has a, a terrible day at work, she comes back home, and she sits down to watch the equivalent of Netflix and she realizes that they've created a show based on her life that day. So Annie Murphy. A Annie Murphy, yes. So I want that. Don't you want that? I don't want that oh, at I all. I really want that. No, I don't <laughs> want that. So I think that therein lies the issue. Like, you know, I, I don't want anyway, I don't want machines to use my life for people's entertainment. Damn it. Well, we do. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, every episode of Black Mirror, which has this kind of dystopian um, you know, thing of technology. I'm like, I want all of those things. Yeah, right. Joe wants, for, you know, just oh, no, just I for don't. the record, I Joe wants the one, you know, there's an episode where you, you record everything and then you can rewind. Right. You know, where you could, where it's re basically recording your life. Like it's like a DVR for your life so you can re- Yeah, so like when, when, when I say, Joe, you didn't blah, blah, blah. And he'll say, well, you didn't tell me. He could go back to that moment and say, see, you right. did tell me. That's the main reason. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared five years from now, you're going to wake up and Joe will have like one million wires coming out of him. I will. I will. <laughs> It'll be one with the machine. So far, it's only one from the, you know, headphones or whatever other technology he's uh, using. No, Elon Musk's Neuralink is starting human trials. And I'm like, me, me, me. <laughs> Apart from it's Elon Musk. And then I think no, it's done. Yeah, there you go. It's done horrible things to primate brains, but um, yeah, I, I, I like the idea of us being wired and connected into into technology. All right, but um, for now, just for Netflix now, picks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now it, it is just Netflix. streaming picks. Indeed, yes. So um, it has been a while um, since we did a podcast, so we're going to go three movies. But we also thought, why not just throw in some Netflix picks as well, which we normally only do when we have two movies. So. Um, Let's start our segment of I Can't Find Anything to Watch on VOD. So, uh... I'm nice. dying. I'm dying to, t to share mine. Just get in there. Okay. So, I don't know why more people aren't talking about this movie. I finished watching this today. Um, it was on my list for the whole part of the year because it was released in March of this year. It is the amazing movie called A Thousand and One. And this is the story about... Um, oh, we missed the screen yes, for it. Yes, yes. The, the, the black girl, the yes, black woman. Yes, right exactly. Side. So I'll give you the, the log line. Um, it follows an unapologetic and free-spirited Inez who is played by Tiana Taylor who kidnaps six-year-old Terry from the foster care system. Um, holding on to their secret and each other mother and son set out to reclaim their sense of home identity and stability in a rapidly changing New York City um, it's a beautiful 
exploration of mother and son. It gave me um, feelings and vibes of moonlight. It follows them over about a 10-year period. Mm. Um, it talks about the inequities of minorities living in um, New York. It talks about relationships and um, it's got a really central moral question at at the center of it, which is, you know, if you steal your own son from foster care because you think you can give that son a better life, is that good or bad? Um, so it's it's amazing. And I'm starting the campaign for Tiana Taylor Oscar nomination for Best Actress. This is a phenomenal movie, a thousand and one. And it is streaming on Amazon Prime. And it's the words, a thousand and one. A thousand and one. Not one zero zero one. No. Okay. Go watch it. I will. I've been meaning to. And where did you watch it? Uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, yes, yes. Yazdi. So my pick is the Indian movie Jane Jaan, J-A-A-N-E, space, J-A-A-N. It means my life of life. Uh, it's It's a term of endearment. Um, if you thanks, yes, you're welcome, both of you. <laughs> yeah, it's if if you're familiar with Indian films, it's by the director Sujay Ghosh, who has done a series of movies like Kahani um, and so forth. And um, this movie, it's it's uh, streaming on Netflix right now. Um, it's he makes so this director makes movies which usually have a bit of the supernatural, a bit of mystery, a bit of. Uh, puzzle that you're meant Ooh. to, you know, meant to unwind. Paheli was one of them. Kahani was <gasps> one of them. I loved Paheli. Yeah, Kahani, that was great. Seen it, yeah. No, so I'm going to So this is his latest list. one. And it's it stars uh, Kareena Kapoor, who we all know. She's wonderful. Love. Uh, Vijay Varma and Jaydeep Alavat. But the story is a single mother and her daughter um, are living in this little West Bengal town of, uh, uh, what's it called? Um uh, I'm just like... I wouldn't know it anyway, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, she, yeah, so she's living in this little town, Kalimpong, that's the name of the town. It's it's on the Nepal border now. It's part of uh, uh, West Bengal in India. And um, her abusive husband returns back and she and her daughter do what they need to to kind of protect themselves. And they have like a very weird kind of stocky creepy neighbor who lives next to them who may or may not have seen some things and then there's a policeman who shows up to investigate what's going on and it kind of plays with all of these elements the whole thing is set in this foggy little small town and it's about how you know women uh, are subject to different forms of masculinity around them and how it can be a hindrance, but it can also be used to their advantage. And it's really not clear about who is playing games with whom, because there are three different characters. It's her and her daughter, this creepy neighbor, and then this policeman who's investigating things. Uh, for me, my only down, down uh, grade to the movie is that I have such high expectations from this director that I expect the puzzle to have a little puzzle underneath, to have oh. a little puzzle underneath. And the ending kind of plays out a little too straightforward. I was hoping for one more Twist. kind of turn of the screw, mm. which didn't happen, but still it's, it's very well constructed. It's actually based on a Japanese book um, called the devotion of suspect X. That's the name of the, of the book on which it's based. Uh, definitely worth your while 
to watch. Jane Jan, which means my life of life. Yes. Terrific. Definitely worth watching. Um, okay, I was going to do my usual thing of um, mentioning the movie, but I'm going to pivot. I was going to recommend Dune. Uh, Dune, Dune, the yes. The 2021, I think, Villeneuve, Denis Villeneuve release. Um, that was unfortunately cut into two. Um, in order to accommodate the full story. And that second part was not greenlit by the studio until the first one had made a gazillion dollars. So, um, And even we, though it's made, it's not coming out this year anymore. Uh, I'm not going to see it's it It's going to be moved. Because it's of finally, the strike. Yeah. That's yeah. correct. It, Just, it has been on HBO for a while, HBO Max. It's now available on Netflix, but... I'm going to pivot to my real recommendation. Did you just do did a just do two? I, I always do two. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I, I, I can never decide. I always find a couple of things I want to talk about. So the one I'm going to talk about is also a little bit of a cheat because I'm, I know I've recommended this a long time ago and I recommended it without having seen it because it was something I was curious in, but it's actually something I got to watch finally, which is They Shall Not Grow Old. Mm. It's Peter Jackson's... Um, mm. About three or five years old? Uh, it was originally released, I think, in movie theatres, 2018, actually. But it was, you know, the, five the, the, years, the big yeah. fuss there was that it was released in kind of a high frame rate format with like the, all of this um, very powerful visual. You don't get that on TV. It's re released in kind of a standard television format. But nonetheless, it's restored footage from World War One. So normally when you see... Uh, footage from like, uh, you know, the early 1900s, the speed is all wrong. People kind of walk funnily and there's mm. like, you know, uh, scratches and, and you know, uh, damage to the picture. Uh, the fidelity isn't very high. It's not, it's obviously, in, it's in much of it is in black and white. I think all of it is in black and white. What he's done is he's taken as much footage as they could find from BBC and other archives from the war and restored it into colour, brought it into high definition, um, corrected the speed so people don't have that kind of, you know, odd kind of bird-like walk when you, um, that you see. Um, and then he's interviewed a whole bunch of veterans who were um, really there at many of the scenes that were depicted. This is an, a, a very um, powerful way of kind of depicting um, the horrors of war. And, you know, we saw last year that, that wonderful movie, All Is Quiet on the Western Front. Mm -hmm. um, this is very much uh, in that same vein, but it's real footage. And honestly, the brutality of, of war really, really, you know, uh, came came through here. So They Shall Not Grow Old. It, it's just a fascinating, um, beautiful is hard to kind of say, but the restoration and the love and the work that's been put into bringing this footage back into something that really remembers and honors these veterans for what they did. They mm. were, they were kids. A lot of them, you know, a lot of them actually lied about their age to get mm. into the army because of the, the, you know, the times were very different, right? They, 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 they thought, you know, we need to go and do our bit for our country and, you know, we need to go and fight the, fight the good fight. And, you know, there were 15 year old kids that would lie about their age um, or, or forge a parental parental signature to get themselves enlisted and, and what they thought they were going to do versus what they ended up doing um, was, was um, you know, very different. But the duty, the sense of duty, the sense of um, pride about the, it was the right thing to do, um, you know, came came through in all of them. None of them had any major regrets, even though they, they lost friends and family in that. Um, just a... a it's, it's a very compelling documentary that, that you know, had me close to tears for, for much of its running time. Um, 
Yeah, They Shall Not Grow Old. It's on Netflix, uh, directed by Peter Jackson. Rashmi, you had? Um, a Thousand and One. And yesterday yours was? Johnny John. Super. All right. It's time to talk about our three movies. We have Gran Turismo. And I think it's actually called Gran Turismo based on a true story. Um, then we have A Haunting in Venice and we have Dumb Money. So that order. Sounds good. Start with Gran Turismo. So Gran Turismo is from director Neil Blomkamp. Yes, that Neil Blomkamp who did Precinct 13. District District 9. District 9, Precinct 13. What? Yazdi? (laughs) Am I having a stroke? I think so. (laughs) District 9. I think we need to replace Yazdi with AI. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of considering (laughs) it. Yes. By and, the way. He, and he also did that horrible movie about the robot. No, was that was Chappie. Chappie. I like Chappie. I Sorry. didn't like Chappie. <laughs> I know, you both hated Chappie. <laughs> but anyway, here he is in his uh, latest film, which is written by Jason Hall, Zach Palin, and Alex C. And it's based on the extremely popular video game of the same name, Gran Turismo, I understand. And uh, it's based on the unbelievable, inspiring, true story of a team of underdogs a struggling working-class gamer, a failed former race car driver, and an idealistic motorsport executive who risk it all to take on the most elite sport in the world. So, Joe, maybe you can explain to me how it's based on a video game, but also a true story, but maybe you will. Uh, but that's, that's, that's the movie in question. It stars David Harbour from Stranger Things, Orlando Bloom from Lord of the Rings, Archie Medeque, and others. And the movie is currently in theaters. So I know you're a big fan of Gran Turismo, the video game. I am, yes. So tell us how the movie measures up. So, yeah, Gran Turismo um, is a video game franchise that uh, came out in the 90s. I think it was the the mid-90s, early um, mid-90s, on the original PlayStation console. Now, um, it is, for all intents and purposes, a racing game simulation. It's not one of these games that has a story or has a... Um, a narrative to it. It's literally trying to put you, it's trying to simulate car racing in the most accurate way possible. And it was a breath of fresh air. I think up until that point, all of the games that were kind of car focused were arcade racers, right? This game introduced physics, introduced handling, it introduced different surfaces, time of day effects. You could tell the difference between rear wheel drive, front wheel drive, you know, the engine sounded different. They took a lot of time to kind of, you know, geek out over the accuracy of this. Um, so it's quite a remarkable milestone game. I've played it for years. Um, the true story piece of it is that, yeah, indeed, um, at one point the simulation had thought to have gone to such a good level that people who played this game seriously, I'm not one of them, I'm a very casual Grand Turismo player, but people would buy, you know, rigs, setups, you know, professional kind of, you know, steering wheels and and big displays, and they would take on racing. And the simulation of the racing was supposed to be so close that someone came up with the idea to put a gamer in a real race car and put them against out on a racetrack against other racers. And this is that story. This is the story of that. So, okay. So, what uh, did you think of the movie? You know, it, 
I struggle because I, I had heard about this whole, um, I remember when the competition came out actually, because they publicized it, um, within the game, you'd open up the game, we'd be like, you know, Gran Turismo, if you're, you know, and I've never been very good at kind of competitive online. Cause you know, I'm not a spotty teenager anymore that can spend, you know, the 60 hours a week dedicating myself to the craft of perfection in the game. So, um, but I remember when it came out and the idea that you could go race real cars if you were good enough at the game was was fascinating to me. Um, so I do remember it. I didn't follow what happened after. And this movie is the storytelling of that. Here's what I'll say is um, it misses a couple of opportunities, I think, to kind of really get into what makes racing compelling. You know, instead, what we have is an underdog sports drama, right? Somebody who is... Um, you know, against all odds put into a field where he's the only one that has never raced in a competitive series um, against other people in real cars. Racing is kind of this funny closed circuit, right? Um, people who get into racing uh, cars on tracks, you know, they basically dedicate their lives to it. It becomes a big sacrifice. They have to throw all their money into it. Then they get sponsors and, you know, they've worked their way up, many, many of these people from carts. So the idea that somebody who quote unquote played a video game and was good at it could enter their world. It's, it's kind of like, you know, a shortcut into an elite field. So they, there's, there's a lot of snubs, but I think the movie, um, the, the movie did a good job of kind of telling us that story and it was better than it needed to be. I think, I mean, I walked away with, um, hmm. uh, a, you know, the, the, again, like any sports drama, there's this, you know, failure after failure, followed by success, followed by prevailing against all odds kind of thing. It tells that story. So I, I enjoyed it. Right me. Um, as the non-gamer and the non-driver, not the non-driver, but the driving because I have to and it's a necessity um, watcher, um, I think it's good enough. It's entertaining. But I think I the, the experience was heightened for me, I think, just because as, as a... As a um, you know, as a partner of someone who loves gaming and plays the game and watches, you know, we and watch loves, Formula loves One. Racing. Yeah, loves actually enjoy watching the racing. I think it's elevated by that. I think if you are not into gaming and you don't like racing and you don't generally get interested by cars, then don't watch this movie. I don't think mm. it's good enough if you don't like any of those things or you're not party to them or have some interest in them, right? It would be like me watching a movie about oil rigs. I have no interest oh. in them. Come on. If it was about the best oil, oil, <laughs> no, I think it's oil like, rigger. I think a better comparison would be to like watching a movie about boxing. I mean, we don't know any boxers, but we can be pulled into the story of it. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I don't think the story is good enough that it would pull oh, okay. you in, right? So I'm just saying that if you don't and, like, it's elevated a, um, by the fact that. If you like racing, if you like cars, if you like gaming or have any interest, then you can get involved. But if I didn't have any and, interest in those, and, I don't think you could. And the only reason I'm quarreling with you about that is simply because the gaming and the racing were the bits in the movie that I think were the most poorly done. Right. Right. Like the story of the underdog that came through the field to yeah. prevail against others were, was much, much better done than the racing. Because the racing, in many ways... Um, I was hoping actually for the movie to get into, you know, what makes the game very compelling, which is racing is, I mean, it's a very, it's a very difficult thing to do to race in a, in a game or in, in a, in a car. 
lap after lap after lap and stay within milliseconds of the car in front of you. It, you know, I was hoping it would take us through that. It didn't really explore that stuff at all because it wasn't central to the story that they were trying to tell, which was, you know, can you take a kid <laughs> who's played on a PlayStation, put him in a race car and not have them die, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think the, the movie did. But, but even then, even then, it's very gamified. Like when he's on the track, you know, it looks like he's in the game and it's all sure. very, so, uh, lots of effects. And there's um, fan service for sure. There's a lot of fan service there for people who who knew the game. There's a yeah. million, million Easter eggs. Yeah. Um, so sure. But I didn't think that that was particularly well done. I think that that was almost extraneous. If we'd removed that, it wouldn't have taken anything away from the movie. Yeah. Um, and that's the problem I have with Neil Bloomhap's direction. I think, um, you know, his, his, his district nine was, Precinct was 13 was, was way better. <laughs> <laughs> Assault anyway. Go on, sorry. District nine was a masterpiece for me yeah. because it had so much social commentary woven into this kind of, you know, allegory of, of aliens literally from space landing in, in um, Johannesburg and being put into ghettos. Um, you know, it was a political social commentary. Um, using aliens as as the kind of um, downtrodden species, um, but it was very very cleverly done and very well done visually, uh, with a really wicked sense of humour and and a lot to say. I think you know his other movies have failed in some ways because he focuses so very heavily on the visuals. I think he did a movie called Hardcore Henry, which was the first player. Mm-hmm. First person perspective video game translation, which was just bananas. Um, he did Chappie, which failed for me on so many levels. I know Rashmi, you, you quite enjoyed that one. Um, and he always seems to use Shalto Copley, but he's a very visual yes. director. Is Shalto right? Copley in this one? He is not, he's fortunately. Not. <laughs> but Jerry Halliwell is, which made me laugh. Because yeah. Jerry Halliwell, or Horner, Jerry Horner, right. the original, one of the original, you know. Spice Girls. Yes, what, Ginger Spice, who is married to um, Christian Horner, who runs um, the Red Bull, Red Bull Formula, Formula One. One team, is actually playing the mother in, in this little, movie. It's a, yeah, that's it's a funny, funny little cameo. Yeah. All right, let's wrap up Gran Turismo. Um, I'll start by saying um, it's better than I thought it was going to be. I thought the, the premise of a, a, a game, uh, the premise of a movie based on a game that doesn't have a story was always going to be a, a, a bit of a stretch. I think it's reasonably well done. I think it does the sports drama really well. And, you know, at the end, I found myself, you know, cheering for the protagonist, just as I do in the end of a Creed movie when, you know, it's round three of the final fight and all is lost and he's been beaten to a pulp by the other person. And yet somehow, somewhere he finds the energy to, to, to win against all odds. Right. It did that very well for me. Um, seven out of ten. Um, yeah, it's good enough. Five out of ten. He also made the movie Elysium with Matt Damon a while back, which I really liked. Sci-fi movie. It was okay. Movie. Yeah. Yeah, again, missed the mark a little for me, but yeah, I, I remember that one too. So question to the two of you who have seen it. We haven't seen Orlando Bloom in a long, long time. Is it oh, like he's good. Me? He's good. Yeah. He's good in this. I liked him in it. Everyone, I think, Everyone's good. Yeah. in this movie. Okay. Um, are, are we going to nominate them for acting prizes? No, no. way. Okay. But everyone was very believable in their roles. Even Jerry Halliwell Horner, right? I mean, you know, and there's a bit of a father-son thing going on here, and you know, which I think was, was done very well. Um, like I said, I think this movie was just kind of better than it needed to be. So, um, okay. know, fun times, but yeah, not, not, not a general recommendation for the reasons Rashmi stated. Yeah. Okay. 
Let's move on to something quite different. A haunting in Venice. Okay, so I have that one. Um, so, A Haunting in Venice is set in eerie post World War II Venice um, on on All Hallows Eve and is a terrifying mystery featuring um, the return of the celebrated sleuth Hercule Poirot. Um, and now he's retired and living in self imposed exile in the world's most glamorous city. Poirot reluctantly attends a seance at a decaying haunted palazzo. When one of the guests is murdered, the detective is thrust into the sinister world of shadows and secrets. So, this is directed um, by Kenneth Branagh. It's written by Michael Green. It's based on the Agatha Christie uh, Poirot series. And it stars a whole host of um, stars, including Kenneth Branagh, Tina Fey, Camille Cotton, who we know from um, My Agent, Call My Agent, the French movie. Yep. uh, French. Sorry. The French series. um, Ricardo Scamacchio. Kelly Riley, a whole bunch of others. Um, so we've all seen this one. Yazdi, what did you think of A Haunting in Venice? And do you <clears> want to <throat> preface this by what you thought of Murder on the Nile? Death on the Nile, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, we all need to be replaced by AI today. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> this is the third film uh, in the series yes. where Kenneth Branagh plays... Uh, a cube. A cube. Poirot. Um, when I was a kid, I, I obsessively read every one of the Agatha Christie books. Really? Yeah, yeah. And they would put the fear of God in me. I, I was a, I must have been 10 or 11. Very inappropriate. Gosh. Um, but I, I read them all. I mean, I just invaded our, our library and I just kind of would check one book out after that. So I, I have an affinity and I, and I have a really good appreciation for how good of a scriptwriter Agatha Christie was because, you know, these stories still hold up now, what, 70, 80 years later. Um, the first two films were kind of campy. They were very glitzy. They had very big, 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 big name actors. So what was really, um, uh, what I really picked up with this one is that it's a it's a very different film, even, even being the third in the Hercule Poirot film. It's not campy at all. There are there isn't much CGI there, with the exception of maybe one or two uh, big name actors. We don't have this parade of you know big name actors. There is no, there is almost no tongue in cheek, no humor. It's actually played very very seriously. It's almost it is in all in one location. And to the best of my knowledge, it's the location. I mean, there is not much CGI which is used. So it's kind of a very weird change to a darker, more somber um, kind of, you know, Agatha Christie uh, murder mystery. I, I saw it yesterday and I still can't decide if that's a shift that I like. It kind of bothered me because it felt very grave and very kind of uh, melancholy. The whole movie was, you know, it, it it's kind of rooted in this girl who kills herself and they're trying to find out what happened and then so it it, it wasn't a pleasant fun experience it, it was a good movie look I'm very very happy that somebody's making these series of movies even though they're based on pre-existing property I like that and I like that um, you know Kenneth Branagh is kind of settled it, settled into this role and feeling more and more comfortable I think Death on the Nile he really went overboard there was like a whole 20 minute preamble about his mustache yes so he you know I think he's kind of leveled out now there isn't much about Poirot himself in in this one so 
It's okay. I don't think it's the best in the series. I, I think depending on your mileage and depending on your own affinity, it may or may not appeal to you. For me, I'm like, mm. okay. Mm. Yeah. Yes, D. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Joe. Uh, you said depending on your psyche. I mean, you know, I'm not sure what this says about me, but the series gets better and better and better for mm -hmm. me. I snoozed through Murder on the Orient Express. It was very, very indulgent. I thought it was so... Um, it was so pleased with itself in mm. terms of, of you know bringing this this version this you this you know it's the, this reboot of the Hercule, Hercule Poirot because uh, these stories have been done before on film as we know. Um, I really enjoyed Death on the Nile. It, it was campy and glitzy and fun, but as as a murder mystery, actually, mm -hmm. it worked for me. And this one did too. This really, I didn't I didn't guess. The clue. I didn't follow the clues myself until the end. Um, and so um, this one had me very engaged. It's a very handsomely made movie. It is very compact, as you said, Yazdi. It feels like it was filmed on one soundstage. Mm -hmm. It could have been a theatre play, um, unlike the others, which required these, you know, big sweeping vistas and transitions through different places. Um, but um, yeah, I, I liked it. And I liked I enjoyed its tone. At times it felt like a horror movie. I mean, it didn't play for the scares, you know, there were there were more mm. than one or two jump scares, but yeah. it didn't it didn't try and create that foreboding sense of dread even though the the story is ostensibly about a ghost, right? A haunting in Venice and and that could have been done very creepily. So yeah, this is this is up there. I think I I think this is probably my favorite of the series. Yeah, um, unlike you, Joe, I did like A Murder on the Orient Express. Mm -hmm. I didn't enjoy, unla uh, unlike you guys, um, Death on a Nile. Um, but I really enjoyed A Haunting in Venice. I'm surprised this hasn't been released later in October to make it a Halloween movie. It definitely has Halloween vibes to it for all the reasons that you've stated. It's very gothic and dark. Um, it's very jumpy. Um, I like about this movie that it, Everyone is, as as in all of these movies, everyone is a um, suspect. Yeah, a suspect, and no one is a suspect, and yeah. everyone has reason, and no one has reason. Um, but everyone has a story and a reason to be in the frame, which I think was done much much better. So I like how tight this movie is. It's much, it's it's narrower scope and tighter as a movie, which I think works to its benefit. It's clue. Right. It's Clue. Yeah, all of them are, though, right? All of but, the... But this is very much Clue. Um, I also like that it has elements of sixth sense, right? So everything is very believable. The mm -hmm. the, the way it wraps up is, is believable. But it does leave you with this feeling of, mm, you know, maybe there's yeah. some mysticism and things we don't know about life and death, right? That Like, it explains yeah. everything very scientifically at the end. But actually... There's this kind of second layer of, you know, maybe there's things that we don't quite know and can't quite explain. And I really like that. Well, I think he plays with that. So yeah. I, I don't know if, uh, it, I, I don't remember reading this particular, I'm, I'm sure I read because I read all of Agatha Christie stuff, but maybe this is one I missed, but um, I don't know if that's in, in the book, but definitely in the movie, there is a lot of, you know, if you're a believer, if you believe in yeah. the afterlife, if you believe in, you know, spirits coming back to you versus being a logical, rational person, such as right. such as this detective Poirot, Poirot yeah. who just 
doesn't believe in all this. He's like, everything has a logical reason. Right. So it kind of plays with that through the whole movie. And I think, yes, I know exactly what you mean. The movie kind of doesn't show it cards even when it's over. It's like, it's not, it's like, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Um, the other thing which was, sorry, the, the other thing which was very interesting for me is that he's really playing with some weird camera angles. It's like he, yes. Yes. like he discovered that 0.5 on his ca on his iPhone, you know, <laughs> the, the 0.5 zoom. I mean, it's so, the camera angles are really obtuse. They're weird. Um, and then, you know, about the horror piece. I mean, I know people who went to see this not knowing what it's about, and they thought this is a they thought this was a horror. Oh, yeah, really? I would say yeah. it plays like a, a haunt, horror, a haunting in Venice. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So I wish if it was if I know horror is the place to make money right now, right? It's it's the cheapest way people are going to show up and watch a movie. Um, and this movie seems to have been made with less money than the first two for sure. Its budget seems to be more limited to me. I don't know, maybe just in the hiring of the actors, but. I wish it had committed then to the horror piece, right? There's maybe, like you said, two two jump scares. One, maybe there's one scene which Bonafide can be from a horror movie, but otherwise I was like, where are you going with this? And, you know, I, I agree with you. It could have been a lot scarier, but he, I think he wants to maybe, you know, be, have this be a family film where you can bring your kids along. You can yeah. bring grandpa and grandma along. So I think it deliberately avoids getting too... Uh, sh you know, bone chilling or, you know, sending shivers down your spine. It reminds me of one of those movies that, you know, I remember kind of growing up, right? You've had your Christmas dinner, you've had your turkey, you know, you, you're all sitting down, the dish has been put away, it's Christmas um, Eve or Christmas evening, you know, the evening of Christmas Day, and you sit down as a family to watch... Um, a family-friendly, handsome movie. This has got that kind of yeah, feel to it, yeah. right? And I think he wanted to, to definitely maintain that. I want to talk a little bit about the casting because I think um, Tina Fey and Jamie Dornan were just <laughs> horrible casting decisions here. I didn't buy Tina Fey for a minute. And I I know... I know maybe and she has a big role. I was surprised. Yeah, yeah. You, you tend to be in the, the Tina Fey fan club, but I'm I'm not in that camp. And I just, I couldn't take her character seriously at all. And they needed somebody with a little bit more... Bite. Yeah. Because she's, it becomes, um, it's, it's not... It's a difficult role to play based on the, you know... The script, yeah. Yeah, she has a lot to do here and I don't yeah. think she delivered it. Yeah, because I, I, hopefully this is not a spoiler, but you realize there is some back and forth between her and Poirot. And I think another actor could have done a better job. I, I, I mean, I, I pray at the Church of Tina Fey, but as, as, a, com as a comedy writer and as a comedy performer, mm -hmm. yeah, there's nothing funny about what she's doing, but yeah, she does need to kind of do a few somersaults which come off a little, you know, with not a perfect landing. And Jamie Dornan, bless his heart, I mean, he... I mean, and maybe it's his character, but, you know, I, I watched this yesterday and I've been playing the movie in my mind and I'm like, everything that happens with his character is just so ridiculous. It is. It's yeah. so preposterous. I'm like, yeah. come on, nobody would do that. You know, it's so, so preposterous. And so I, so I don't want to blame him as an say, actor. Maybe it's, it's the fault of the script. It's, I just it's the was fault like, of the script. I, I didn't like, buy that. Uh, Michelle Yeoh did a fine job, though. I thought she was very good here. And that's not, I would never have thought of putting her in the role that she played here. She she is the, the kind of the mystic and the, the she, she did a really good job. Camille 
Camille Cotin. I yeah, think. I love her. I was, love her in great. this but movie. I think, her role I, was I, think I just love her. Yeah, anyway. and she was good. Yeah, and yeah. she's a great actress. I mean, we're absolute fans of Call My Agent. Um, so sneaky Mich- Netflix pick. Michelle Yeoh. I think t- to give credit where it's where it's due, there is nothing about this character which requires her to be Asian, and you know it's completely, completely, you know, blind casting. Like yeah. they cast her, and she just happens to be Asian, and you know, even her name is Miss Reynolds or something in the movie, right? So yeah. you know, so good for them to kind of truly do like a blind yeah. casting, race kind blind of high, casting. Yeah, yeah. I love casting. that it's set in Venice. I mean, I think the the production and the the location is very, very handsome. The word that you keep using, Joe, I mean, it's, it's, you really do feel very confined on that water and feel the weight of mm-hmm. the, the whole place sinking in a sense. Um, I really like the production. I mean, I can wrap this one up. Um, yeah, I think this is worth watching in the cinema um, with the sound and the, you know, it gets you extra frightened and kind of, it's a good winter, winter movie. It's a great Halloween movie. Um, seven out of 10. Yes, the The little kid, I kept wondering where I've seen him before. And then I remembered he was the annoying kid from Belfast. So oh he's, yeah, Jude Hill. Jude Hill. So it, he 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 he, bring, he brought back both Jamie Dornan. Oh dear. And and the little boy yeah. from from Belfast. Which I love that movie. Yeah, you know, I know you guys did. Also directed by Kenneth. Also Branagh. directed by Kenneth Branagh. Very different film. Um, I don't know. I like the tongue in cheek, campy, silly, glitzy, you know, parade of a hundred Hollywood star, you know, movie that movies that the two were. So I kind of. I don't know yet if I'm a fan of this more serious Poirot. I mean, I think if he's going to just mix it up, that's fine. This is a good one. Uh, something was very weird about, like I said, the camera angles. It almost, I'm like, why is it like this? Why is it looking yeah, they down? Were not why in- is it looking up? And constantly. Yeah, they were. It was almost to the detriment of the story. I mean, sometimes yeah, those was, angles can be in service of the story. Yeah. But here it was like... Okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll look at it that way. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, there was there was also, you know, he, he wanted it to be a very handsome, kind of beautiful movie. So there's constant um, intercalation of scenes of a lizard going somewhere or a bird attacking an egg or something, you know, <laughs> which was like, after a while, I'm like, okay, we get it. Or a it. mouse running through a tunnel. <laughs> or a mouse running through a tunnel. I'm like, okay, I get it. You're making one of those movies. So I, listen, I, I have no ill will towards it. it. It does its function. I wish it had like two or three, like Judy Dench would have been great. A few other kind of flashier actors here would have been nice. I wonder why um, they're not signing up. Maybe because they hated Death on the Nile so much. I I don't know. Maybe those these movies are not making as much money, so yeah. the studios are not willing to pay. You know, like yeah. ten A name A name actors. Uh, six out of ten. I I enjoyed it. Joe. Yeah, I, I think you know um, as I as I kind of come to thinking of it as we're talking about it again. Um, I have to say that ultimately, as a murder mystery, this movie really worked for me. It, I followed all of the red herrings, you know, and so, and there were many, and I was very satisfied with the way that the story played out, its conclusion, you know, the the whodunit moment, the the Poirot-ness, you know, the very, the highly intelligent Poirot deduction of everything that was happening there. So 
Um, it really worked for me. And because I think you two have been so stingy with your scores, I'm going to give it an eight. I knew you'd do that. I had a great time with this. Did you really think that you could have figured it out if you... Up until, if, if, up until the reveal, if you watch the movie six times, you think you can figure it out? I don't think you can. For me, I was like... Uh, and, and Sure, it, I wait. like to think that I can because I think um, ultimately the, the motives were, were, were given through the story. But everyone had motives, I can't motives, even right? remember who did it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll tell you after the podcast. I'll tell you after the podcast. I was like, who did um, it? I think I know. Because I was like, how did he figure this out? This seems so random. Yeah. That, okay, it, this person is the bad guy. But anyway. Well, yeah. yeah, the sleight of hand worked for me. That's all I'll say. And I think, oh. you know, I, I, I quite enjoyed the mystery. Um, yeah. and, and the tone. You you complained a lot about the tone here yesterday, but I, I actually thought that that was a change for the better in this series um I, I, I like the more serious i just wish it had been more serious then like you know there are again maybe it's a spoiler but there are many many murders which happen i didn't believe that they actually happened they all felt kind of plasticky to me you know like there, you don't <laughs> see any blood at all right and then nobody cries right they're, they're like major characters are dying and people are like okay Moving on. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, but maybe I expect that, too much. It's not say, that movie, right? I was going to say, wasn't that the same in the Agatha Christie books as well? Yes. yes, <laughs> yes. Let's not knock yes. Branner for that. All right. Yes. Movie number three is Dumb Money. Yes. So uh, director uh, uh, Gillespie, who... Uh, you know, uh, Craig Gillespie, who has famously made I, Tonya, He made... Uh, uh, Lars and the Real Girl with uh, I love Ryan that Gosling. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he Cruella. Cruella. Oh yeah, Cruella was his last film. So uh, he, you know, he's he's uh, no chop liver. I mean, he's been making decent films for a while. Uh, this is his latest movie, and what surprises me most is how quickly this movie has been made after the playing out of the real events on which it is based. It's based on the famous. Um, you know, financial uh, scandal which happened when, you know, the GameStop stocks were inflated by essentially Reddit users and, and, and you know, internet geeks. And so uh, Dumb Money is the ultimate David versus Goliath tale based on the insane true story of everyday people who flipped the script on Wall Street and got rich by turning GameStop, the video game store, into the world's hottest company at that time. Uh, it's based on a script by Lauren Shuker Blum, Rebecca Angelo, and Ben Mesrick. And the movie has a really remarkable cast. Um, Paul Dano, Pete Davidson, America Ferreira, Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, Nick Offerman, Seth Rogen, Anthony Ramos. Anthony Ramos from... Uh, uh, the musical in the Heights. The in, the Heights. in the Heights. Uh, Sebastian Stan is here, uh, and Shailene Woodley is here as well. So, as is Dane DeHaan. So quite, quite, and Olivia Thurlby. These are all actors whose names we know. Uh, so I wanted to watch this movie. Didn't get a chance. Uh, and before we get into Rashmi's yes. comments, just uh, a little point here that I'll come back to at the end of the review, which is not listed in the credits here is the Winklevoss brothers. The, yes, the real Winklevoss brothers from the Facebook movie um, who are very rich investors in... They played themselves? They're not in this movie. They produced it. So oh. 
I'll good. come back to that. Carry on. The Winkle Vi. <laughs> right? Remember? Yes. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by saying I love this movie. I absolutely enjoyed the pants off this movie. It's so fun. Um, and it's, um, it is a David Goliath story. And it's just... It's really done very well. It, it it it's pacing is good. It keeps your um it keeps your attention. You know, l- learning about stocks and shares and what happened. It, it can be pretty boring, um, but the way it's strung together with sort of real footage of what was happening on the TV and how the media was covering the event. And then um, Paul Dano is excellent in this. Um, After we watched it, we came and watched the HBO series, um, which is, I can't even remember the name of it. Um, There there are basically two docu-series about the same event. One is, I think, Gaming Wall Street. That's right. The HBO one is Gaming Wall Street. The Netflix one is Eat the Rich. Yeah. And and we've watched, I think, one or two episodes of Eat the Rich. We haven't finished watching that. But again, the portrayal of what really happened is done so well in this movie. This is just so much entertainment and so fun and so interesting. Um, I, I just found myself rooting for this little movie. I loved it. You know, it, it's... Uh uh-oh. Interesting part of net culture, right? The whole Reddit, Wall Street bets. I'm I'm a Reddit user, right? Yeah, Reddit is a very interesting place because there's a million communities in there. Each one has their own kind of culture and subreddits. So each, each each that's right. Cult. Each, I mean, cult. Each, each subreddit seems... is is moderated by people who effectively volunteer their time. Yeah. So you know they police themselves. Some reddits, some subreddits will allow all sorts of profanity and abuse and you know, other subreddits kind of monitor themselves and very and clean themselves up and are very actual, very safe places for people to talk about very serious things or things that they're interested in or, um, or very focused conversations. You know, some moderators will, you know, if you're in the washing machine subreddit, you know, if you dare mention, um, a, you know, a tumble dryer, you'll get banned from that subreddit, right? So it's a very interesting culture the wall street bet subreddit reddit where this story plays out so again just the mechanics of what happened is gamestop was heavily shorted because as a company it was looking to go out of it was looking like it was going to go back out of business big hedge funds bet against gamestop so they would make money if gamestop failed uh, this guy took a look at gamestop and thought there's it's been overly shorted. So what I'll do is I'll buy stock and I'll tell everyone, let's buy the stock because then the, the big hedge funds will have to be more basically uh, buy stock to cover themselves for the bet that they made against GameStop. And it squeezed these hedge funds. And so again, the David and Goliath nature of the average man on the street, the retail investor, the person, the people, us who when we buy stocks and shares against hedge funds are often referred to as dumb money from the title um, is, is what this movie is about. It does a really good job of telling this story. Um, That's, that's the, that's the first thing I'll say about the movie is that it avoids some of the gobbledygook that like the big short dragged us in. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. The big short was very good. It was based on a Michael Lewis book, but Michael Lewis gets very technical very quickly and starts to weigh down the narrative 
with very, very complicated. And they tried to do it with visuals and make it more. But really, the big short, shorting the stock, is essentially the same uh, premise that, that we had here. Big, you know, big companies shorting GameStop. Here they explained it so wonderfully that literally you could drag somebody on a, in off the street who'd never who didn't even know what a stock was and, and, and they would get it. And, and that- essentially that's the beauty of the movie. Sorry to jump in. I'm just kind no, of building that's... on the point you're making, Joe, which is essentially it's about the little person mm-hmm. who knows nothing about stocks, yes. but relies on someone on a Reddit stream to help guide their future, which seems right. dumb, so but it's not dumb. It was the democratization yeah. Yeah. Of, of, of the, the stocks, uh, you know, over the years since the dawn of, you know, since the dawn of the internet age, right? We've, we've seen that there's been more and more accessibility into the financial world and the financial world tries to protect itself from that, right? These guys are going to win. They are the house, right? You are the person walking in with your $20. Yes. And, you know, I've dabbled in, in stocks and shares, but, the, the truth of it is, um, you, you know, get too I, scared. I pay a financial advisor to do that, right? Because it's not that I get too scared. It's just the information advantage that I have is, is the, the, the odds are so against me. These people have information sources and intelligence that they know three steps ahead what the market is going to do. Whereas you as a retail investor, you don't have access to these publications and these news sources and these analytics that kind of give you that information. So this is a wonderful story of these people clubbing together and using their collective intelligence, right? And then, you know, they built the collective intelligence into something of a cult and the cult then fought the machine. Um, and so it, it does that really well. Performances were, were really good Fantastic. throughout. You know, America Ferrara here. I think she's, you know, a little bit of a kind of a, a you know, she's the caricature of the, the working mom that has not much, you know, she almost like she did in uh, Barbie. Barbie she's movie, the, right? almost the same you know, character. Who else are you going to hire for that? She's great at that. <laughs> she is. She is. She's if got... you've seen her in like Superstore, the NBC, you know, she plays. Never the, watched that. So good. She plays the everyday person who's struggling with her rent and everything else. She does that very well. Yeah, yeah. she does. Yeah. So you know, she she every, everyone kind of plays to type here. Yeah. Paul Dano is the weird guy. You know, who else would you hire as the weird guy? And he uh, does it with, so with well. But it's it's all it's all really well done um even you know seth rogan here he's he's not who i would cast correct as this kind of wall street type um but he he does he is acting his heart out here and i i believed him and again he kind of plays that you know yes he's there to be kind of the annoying privileged um hedge fund manager um you know but again so this story does this this movie does everything kind of it sets out to do very well it, it has the real footage at the end of uh all of the characters all of the characters and 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 just how well they they did that scene so um yeah this is this is really good stuff i enjoyed this and i think it also i like the triangulation of wall street the dumb money crew and then the what was it the vlad tenev character who owned um you know the kind of the people who set up where, where people, oh, the robin hood yeah the robin hood yeah. that's it so there's three it's a really th- there's a really good sub story in here which is about you know these two guys who set up robin hood 
to clearly, yeah. you know, steal from the rich and pay the poor, the democratization of being able to buy shares and sort of like really what their role was. So it's and it's done with real um, it, it's kind of like a dark comedy. It's not all in all. It's not an out and out comedy per se. It's a dark. It's like a black comedy. It's it's really good. It's witty. The 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 way it's written is very believable. Um, yeah, great movie. I, I can sum this one up. There's nothing dumb about this. Go watch this one. It's super fun. Easily. I would say if I was Yazdi, I'd give this an, an eight and a half out of 10, which I'm going to back down to an eight. <laughs> <laughs> My halves live on. Yes. Even without you reviewing <laughs> <Yes>. the movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm the I'm same. I mean, an eight is too stingy, a nine is too generous. So I'll stick with an eight as well. Now, um, <gasps> Two halves. I know, really, Yasti. You've you've done it. I have, <laughs> my, like, my purpose on earth like has ended. <laughs> now, yes, yes. I no. mentioned the Winklevoss. Yes, brothers. the Winklevoss. The Winklevoss twins, in fact. They look they look just like Army Hammer. I was they, looking at their photos. Yes. on IMDb. I brought that up for a reason because I read a very interesting op-ed in The Verge. The Verge is like a tech focused website but they do movies and technology and very different things and the reason i'm going to bring this up and so this is a piece by um oh goodness me uh i forget elizabeth lapato of the verge she's a, re a tech reporter but one of the things that she she was very down on this movie and she was down on this movie because in the movie version of events david really does prevail over goliath mm -hmm. the truth is that with this gamestop saga many david's got their ass handed to them financially um, because the house plays to win, right? And the strength and the power, right? The whole, the whole reason this blew up in the media isn't because David versus Goliath won. It's because Robinhood, which was the trading platform where people were buying this stock, you know, I have Robinhood, it's an app, dis, you know, disclosure there, but um, it allows you to buy shares without paying commissions. So you and I mm. take a hundred bucks, sign up, buy shares in the app and watch them go up and down. They had a relationship with a hedge fund called um, Citadel uh, and Citadel was starting to lose its shirt over the, over the thing. So what Robinhood did, one of the ways they were driving the price up, the demand for the GameStop app, sorry, the demand for the GameStop stop, stock uh, was people were buying it, right? Mm -hmm. So more buy, more demand, price goes high. Robin Hood removed the buy button at the point where mm. there was a critical mass of people buying that share and they did it and the little guys got screwed, right? And so- Shame on them. Oh, absolutely. And no one has gone punished for this. So one of the things that this Verge um, op-ed, you know, kind of says about the movie is that it, you, leave, you leave the movie with a sense that, you know, the ordinary man won against this hedge fund type but and reality. we really didn't right wall street still maintains its advantage now you know i'll i'll, I'll say that you know the verge comes from the very left in terms of its politics um you know so take take from that what you will but there's a cautionary tale here and the reason that they call out the winklevoss twins in terms of their um investing in this money is that the story is you walk out thinking, right, I'm going to go buy stocks and shares and screw these hedge fund managers, right? If I'm smart, mm. if I'm clever, I can go and win. I can win the, against the house. The, the Winklevoss brothers <laughs> have just been part of a group that has invested in um, 
a small, uh, well, a, a kind of a startup cryptocurrency exchange aimed directly at retail investors, retail traders, people like you and I, to get into the crypto market. Right. So the, you leave this movie with the feeling that you can put a few hundred bucks in and get and make riches, right? That's what the, that's ultimately the the narrative. You and some did, I and, guess, and some did, but most didn't. Right. The vast majority of people didn't. Yeah. Right. So just just that that's that's, that's your a, word of caution. Well, it's it's an important point to make. And as I read and chewed over this narrative, I was like, gosh, it it is really interesting that the production money that went into a story of, of, of David against Goliath and has David prevail is actually a Goliath. I might be looking to screw you again, so hmm. that's where I'll leave it. All right. How many hours have we been talking now? 59 minutes. Wow. We shall bring the podcast to a close. Thank you, all of you, for um, yes. downloading and listening to us. If you have made it this far in the podcast, bravo to you. Um, and thank you uh, for, for taking time out of your life to listen to the three of us. Um, <laughs> wax lyrical on. or take us along with you on your life while yes. you're running or driving or walking or yes putting the dry scone in your mouth at that point in time yes. was not a good idea <laughs> yes. yeah yeah it's fine yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes he has a mouthful of blueberry scone that um, I quite enjoyed Rashmi complained about but that's I just think it's a bit mealy and dry mm. I would. I would. I think it needs. I, I agree with Yazdi. It needs a big dollop of clotted cream and jam in it's the middle. Not, it's not the moistest of scones. Yes. Yeah. I, I. I didn't enjoy my second bite quite as much because I ran out of tea. Right. To, to wash it down. Yes. With. Okay. But on the note. Enough of our snacks. <laughs> let's wrap up the podcast for today. Thank you again. We'll be back as soon as we can with the next round of movie world. This might be a couple of weeks from now, but I think um, we're kind of in a holding pattern at the moment. We're waiting for all of the award fodder to come out and uh, summer has ended and we're in that weird two week transitional period. I think, yeah, I think more to come. It will get busy, but yeah, we are approaching award season. So all the Here they're gonna come. All the Scorseses and the, you know, Lantimoses will be coming yes, out with their Lan movies. I can't wait. Me I too. can't wait. Yeah, I can. On that note, <laughs> yes. let's end. This. <laughs> All right. Thank you again for listening. A goodbye from me. too many movies, too little time. <gasps> A goodbye from me and me and me as well.